Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David. Hey, Rob. Welcome back, my friend. Yes, sir. We got we got a lot of things happening culturally around us this week as this podcast goes out in the world. We're bookended by the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. What are your thoughts on both of those? I'll let you choose which direction uh, to take uh, this. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all in the Super Bowl. I like to watch the game, so I'm locked in. It's not it's not a, necessarily a social event for me because. I enjoy sports, and that's the culmination of the season. If it's a good game, I'm really in, into it, and obviously into the commercials as well. Alice and I, we obviously we acknowledge Valentine's Day, but we also don't make it such a big deal. In fact, when she and I got engaged way back, I actually asked her on February 19th instead of February 14th because I didn't want, you know, to have it beyond Valentine's Day. It was so predictable. So I waited five extra days before we got engaged. So there you go. It's a solid cushion. Yeah, that's that's a wise move. Yeah, it kind of threw her off a little bit, but that, that was that was the whole point. I wanted it to be special and a surprise. That's great. That's great. Did you have a favorite Super Bowl commercial? I liked Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was my favorite one too. Oh, yes, that was so awesome. Oh. Neba. I thought they did it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man, that would make me happy. Yeah, I'll be I'll be trying to quote that one probably for a while. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, in it, general, those the rest of them were like, okay, that one really stood out. It's fascinating. You know, he's just he's a really good actor. You know, governor of California. You know, bodybuilder, just extraordinary. Personality. It says, says neighbor right here on the paper. <laughs> so how about you? I'll turn it back to you. That was great. Super Bowl, well, Valentine's yeah. Day. It's funny, you know, the Super Bowl party we were at, we had a split family. People chose what couch to sit on based on who they were cheering for. And so all the women in my family were half and half. You know, three, three girls, three boys. I have two daughters and two sons. So my daughters were sitting on the couch with my wife cheering for the Taylor Swift team. And my sons were on the couch with me cheering for against Taylor Swift, essentially, is how I feel like it really shook out. So I feel like she won in that scenario, regardless of the outcome. Yes, she uh, definitely won. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, other cultural events that maybe are on par with the Super Bowl and taking kind of over the world is the release of your book. Last yes, week, absolutely. Right? <laughs> we're still in the in the season. Real- Real missed opportunity for us not to take out an ad. You know, it was only what seven and a half million dollars. Yeah, that's that's we we didn't really need it, right? It's kind of not really our ethos, right? That's not that's not really the approach we're taking in the world. We're we're releasing it organically and allowing it to impact people slowly and deeply. But 
I am excited to return to the subject of your book because I think that there there's so many different threads to pull on when it comes to the principles that you lay out, some of which we've already covered on the podcast. Um, but you know, here now that it's out into the world, one of the conversations that we've really not dug deeply on is the target audience in which you wrote it for. And I know you you, you kind of tee that up in our recent episode for in the launch party where we you got interviewed by the one and only Jess Aberhart. That was a fascinating interview for folks who, who have not heard that. I really encourage you. It kind of tells the whole backstory of the book in a, in a really beautiful way. And Jess kind of brings her skill to really elevate that conversation in ways that are really meaningful. But David, I want to ask you specifically when you think about a book on justice, right? There are a lot of books around justice out in the world. And there are a lot of books for business leaders. Not a lot of books for business leaders on the topic of justice. So can you just unpack why you wrote this book specifically for that audience? Well, in many ways, you just said it. There isn't, or I didn't see, a book on justice particularly designed for business leaders. And in my interactions with them, I talked about this a little bit on the interview with Jess, is I found a couple things. One is they were longing for something more, business leaders. I found that they, just in their own experiences of leadership and in their own lives, were experiencing a, a desire to have more meaning and purpose with their work. They also were exhausted and tired and felt like their leadership was more reactive than proactive. And I knew from my experience that this idea of being just and understand God's heart for justice was was actually a pathway for them to build a vision for their leadership that would give them that meaning and purpose, that would help them have perspective around how they approach their day and their people and to become more proactive and have a, a long view of what they're all about so that they could live a full life, a life that that is what they long for. So that's, that's a primary purpose. And then the secondary purpose, well, not secondary in importance, but just a, a second idea was that more and more what I would call just issues or justice issues were appearing on their desk every day where they had to navigate really complex challenges within their companies that had to do with kinds of qualities and issues that we are discussing. And I knew that they didn't have a safe place or an opportunity to engage with these issues or have these ideas presented to them in a way in which they were winsome. In other words, Justice is a word that can be divisive. It can come with a lot of baggage. People, when you say justice, and particularly to business leaders, it's just a, a non-starter. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's too complicated. You have to take sides. It has maybe some political connotations or other, other types of things that just can be so distracting. But when we understand God's heart for justice and what it means for us to be just, 
then there's an opportunity for us to engage with that conversation in ways that cause us to want to be a part of that. And I didn't see anything out there, both in terms of a book or even the kinds of things we're doing with them in our Just Leadership groups, where there's an opportunity for us to engage with these concepts and principles in such a way that they want to sit on the edge of their seat and want more because they know this is something that's going to give them life. In so many ways, I was trying to redeem the word justice for business leaders to take it out of the context of the way our world sees it or where where they may even see it in their context. And again, make it something that they want to know more about and also make them see that this is critical to their leadership. Like not something extra, but something that has to be central in order for them to accomplish what they want to accomplish through their work. And ultimately, and we talk about this, ultimately become a world-class leader. Yeah, that's, I think one of the advantages that you have in writing this book in this conversation is that you've been working with business leaders for a long time now, coming alongside them in their leadership and helping them think through these principles. And so we, in many ways, don't have to wait very long for people to pick up the book and engage with it and, and try to wait for the stories to come back, right? Anecdotally, to be like, oh, I wonder how business leaders are reacting to, to these principles as they attempt to live them out. You've been there in their corner, really coaching them, guiding them, encouraging them along the way, both on the you know, consulting side, kind of one-to-one within a business context, but then also through just leadership groups, which we've alluded to often. And we, you know, kind of are attempting an impossible task here through a, this mechanism of a podcast. But I wonder if you could almost paint a picture for our listeners who have not been a part of those groups, right? Could you paint a picture and inviting them in on like they're a fly on the wall into what does it look like for a business leader to really wrestle through the principles of the book? Because that's why you wrote it, right? Not to be a pie in the sky. That's a nice philosophy, but like where the rubber meets the road in their day-to-day, you wanted a tool, almost a, a field guide that they could reference when they are navigating challenges that brush up against these topics in their leadership. So can you get kind of paint a picture for our listeners for what does that look like to walk alongside business leaders who have now been wrestling through, through these pencils for years? You know, that are really what led to the culmination of this book being a product of that journey. Yeah, well, it's such a rich time. And that's why I'm so excited about the book, because the book is just built on those experiences that we're having with them. It's not these th- theoretical concepts that we hope will will apply to people's situations, but we've actually developed these principles and ideas because of the experiences that we're having with these leaders. And I would describe it as peeling an onion, (laughs) you know, you just, you peel one layer and then you get to another layer. And and what I would, what I see, what we experience is almost a reorientation of, of thought, of, of perspective, sometimes even, you know, again, going back to purpose, like reorienting what it is that we're really trying to do through our work and through our leadership. 
and that people need to wrestle with that in a peer learning environment. That's why I hope people read this book in a group, with a group, because these are issues that you have to discuss with other people. And as they're sharing their stories of the issues that they're facing, and they're significant, I mean, so challenging of figuring out what to do with a certain situation with their people or with customers. You know, we leave, unfortunately, with probably more questions than answers, you know, but we have the right concepts or the right principles through which to make the decisions that we need to make in order to pursue what ultimately is just in our companies and for, for the people around us. So some of the questions we leave with was how how do I have we've talked about having success a broad view of success so that everyone wins, which doesn't quite work in a competitive environment of win lose environment. But you still, how do you lead in such a way that you can remain competitive? How do I build cultural competency within my context? And for some, that means trying to build a diverse workforce. And so people leave realizing that there are things that are about their culture that are in place that they couldn't see before that makes it really difficult for people to come into their workplace with a different background and be successful because there are barriers in place for those folks who come from those different backgrounds that make it much more difficult for them to have success for versus those who are more prone to that work environment. So are they willing then to take the steps to minimize those barriers for people, to have patience with their people, to understand what's the line between helping our people succeed and also being patient with them around their performance? And do we have time to be able to do that and understand the difference? So it's The world is much more complex now related to our leadership. And if we don't have a context in which we can wrestle with these issues through through this book with a group of people or doing it in the context that we have with our just leadership groups, it's really difficult for us to be the kind of leaders that we want to be. I love what you said there, David. And I've been in the room where it almost becomes a running joke in in some of our groups of we're going to leave with more questions than we came in with. And I think the reason it's said tongue in cheek is that it's a compliment. I sense it as a compliment because I sense that the business leaders are in the room. They realize that although they may be leaving with more questions, they're better questions than the questions they came in with. And they wouldn't trade easy answers for better questions. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that moment because to me, that's when they're starting to embody the qualities of your, that you unpack in the book of they're starting to see more. Oh, this isn't neat and tidy. This isn't going to be gone soon. This isn't some quick fix, you know, create a committee and then be done with it and move on. You know, this is a journey that never stops. There is no destination where we arrive and we plateau and we just 
set cruise control on on just and we're just <laughs> we're yeah. just coasting you know and honestly i think that's why business leaders are get so engaged with this because they understand that these aren't simple answers and when you recognize the complexity of it then we get to roll up our sleeves together and a lot of times people will come in with pie in the sky answers you know just apply the formula and you can move on but when you realize that's not what we're here for. And we're going to really try to pick this apart, unpeel the onion and get after some in-depth questions and ultimately solutions. Then that's where people are very engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And not to, not to paint a picture that when all it is, is asking more and more questions and just kind of almost throwing up your hands that you can't see progress or build towards meaningful change. That is not the case because we, I think you you tell so many stories in the books, and we we could pull so many stories from the groups that aren't mentioned in the books of people who both wrestle through this. We always talk about that P word of posture, right? Ultimately, so much of this goes back to a posture change. But when we people start to make that change in their posture, bold and courageous action is possible. That is meaningful and transformative. It might be unpopular, disruptive, and slow, but it can lead to actual change. So could you put some skin on the bones for our listeners? What are some examples that come to your mind? You tell, you tell so many stories in the book, which is, I think, what really helps illuminate this as not just meant for academia. What, what examples come to your mind of that type of wrestling and potential, you know, the nuance, but also the progress that can be had around certain issues? Yeah, well, I think about the very first story in the book, and I don't want to give all of it away, but Craig, who, whose family business owns convenience stores all over, and family-owned business, faith-centered, and found out one of their stores was one of the highest sellers of Colt 45 malt liquors, lottery tickets, and also was the site of drug deals in their parking lot. And they were distraught that their company, their business was being used for this. So they wanted to figure out how to make that not happen. They decided as a result just to tear down that particular convenience store and absolutely refurbish it. Just build it from the ground up, make it really nice, do nice landscaping, nice signage, put nice healthy foods and other things in the convenience store. They spent over a million dollars to get that put together. By the time they were done, guess what the top sellers were? Colt 45 malt liquors, lottery tickets, and it still was the site of drug deals. And so they thought they could solve this problem that was much deeper than they thought on the surface with a, a business solution. But they didn't realize that they needed to take time to do things that were probably out of their wheelhouse as it relates to business engagement, where you would take the time to build relationships within the community, understand who the gatekeepers are in the community, try to understand what is the underlying problem and how then can they come up with a solution that is owned by that community that can ultimately impact a different result. That story didn't end well, but as a result of it, they gained sight 
for things that they may not have seen before, understand the dynamics of building cultural competency, giving power away, taking bold, courageous action like we talk about in the book. And then moving forward, they've made a decision as a company, which is very countercultural in their industry, not to have video poker machines in their stores, which is pretty standard in the convenience store industry, particularly with how that part of convenience store operation has become so commonplace that it's almost unheard of for a store not to have those kind of machines in their facilities. And as a result, they are leaving tremendous profits at the door by not having those machines in their stores. So, you know, as a just leader, you learn. And for them now, they have to figure out, okay, we're putting our stake in the ground of what is non-negotiable about what it means for us to be just. We understand that we're going to leave money at the door. So how do we remain competitive? How are we one of the best convenience stores brands across the country without that revenue source? And so this is what we talk about when we talk about being world-class is you make these kind of decisions that are not normal, but you have to figure out ways for you to be competitive. So you can imagine the conversation that we're having in the group or that you're ha- or you have when you're reading these principles and you apply it to them from the book as you wrestle with these things with other leaders. You know, you have more questions than answers. But when you do it in the context of that group, you're emboldened. There's got to be a better way. And there is. And it comes with the fullness of life that we're talking about. So, David, uh, we, we keep telling business leaders this is going to be radical. And yet we use language like, well, what's the, what's the bottom line, though? You know, like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's cut to the chase and just simplify this down, will you? So. I have a feeling you're not going to do that to the extent that maybe all our listeners would love. But, you know, if they've been on this journey with us with the podcast, they've, they've gotten used to pretty nuanced endings. So I have no doubt you're going to you're going to stay consistent there. <laughs> well, to be consistent, the bottom line today is you can't do this alone. I would encourage you not to read my book and read it alone. Not because I want more sales of my book, but because this wrestling has to be done in community with people. You need a group of people around you. You need a group of people around you just in general as a leader. If you're alone and isolated and don't have a peer group, we highly recommend all types of peer groups are out there for you to have this kind of interaction with them. But as it relates to these qualities and these principles, and when we're talking about redeeming the word justice and reorienting ourselves, it's almost like we have to rewire ourselves. And you know, when we do just leadership groups, we set them up for at least two years because it takes time for us to recondition ourselves and to look at the world through a new set of lenses that cannot be done overnight and cannot be done alone. So you have to find people who will wrestle with these things with you. And I'm excited about that because we find the process of doing that is more significant than getting to the right outcome. So I would just encourage you to find others to do this with. Yeah, that's really powerful. 
And I think having experienced this content in a group setting can really affirm watching these principles take root in the hearts and minds of business leaders. I think that the community around the content is really what brings it to life and is really what really amplifies this. Well, I would encourage anyone listening that hasn't already pick up a copy of your book, The Just Leader, Thriving in a Fractured World, now available on Amazon. And you're actually off to go record the audio version of it here shortly in just like an hour. So that's exciting. Another format will be available. So we really know our business audience, right? To know that hey, sometimes the paper paper version is not going to work. So we're we're making it as easily accessible as possible for our demographic. Mm-hmm. Exciting stuff. Well, we'll see you on the other side, David. Thanks, Rob. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 11, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11-T-E-N leadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.